Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today, we share our gut reaction to the Broncos' 24-17 victory over the Bears in preseason Game 1. What changed for the quarterbacks? And we'll also touch on the risers and fallers from Game 1, as well as take a question or two from the Mile High Mailbag. You are listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up! Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, we missed you on the last episode. We had to get by without Will. How was your vacay? Tell our listeners where you went and uh, what kind of trouble you got into. Yeah, I, I missed you, too, but... Um... I spent the week in Santa Cruz, California. It's a place I know you're pretty familiar with, uh, playing music back in the day. Indeed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the boardwalk um, in Santa Cruz, but they have this roller coaster called the the Typhoon, where it it basically takes you all the way upside down and does like a 360. <laughs> and I, I found out about myself that I like I really prefer being right side up as to upside right. down, and I didn't know that, but. Now, I think from now on, I'm going to stay right side up. You know, it's really weird. I'm 37 years old, and when I was younger, it was when I was in, you know, young man in my early 20s, motion and things like that didn't bother me. I could get on a, a roller coaster or whatever and be fine. It was a thrill. It was fun. It was what you expect it to be. But as I got older, had some kids, you know, the kids want to get on the rides, and they half the time they're so young, you got to be on there with them and this and that. I found that I'm much more sensitive now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, to motion and going around in circles at high velocity. It's really weird how that changes. Crazy how that happens. I think that's when you pawn them off on the older brother or the mom. <laughs> well, fortunately, Parenting 101. Fortunately for me, I've got a 14-year-old, so we're, we're now edging into that territory where I can uh, do just that. Now, there you go. Uh, we are happy to have Will back, and we're happy to uh, share today's episode with our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. You get a free book with your 30-day free trial, and there's 180,000 different titles that you can choose from for that free book for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up we love this service it allows us to bring you this show each and every week i use it on almost a daily basis whether i'm driving around town on my commutes whether i'm in the yard doesn't matter what i'm doing working out it allows me to to consume these books without actually sitting down and turning the pages and as a listener it really helps support the show and allows us to keep doing uh, what we do as far as providing you this this content. So the cool thing about Audible with this trial is you sign up, 
You give it. You pick your book. You give it a whirl. If you don't like it, you cancel before the 30 days. You're out. But if you do try it, obviously you're listening to this podcast not just because you're a Broncos fan, but you probably really appreciate, you know, the the Audible medium, being able to listen to your content. You try Audible, you're going to be hooked. You're going to love it. You're going to come back to us. You're going to say, "Hey, thanks for turning me onto Audible." So go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up and get started. Now we are here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow without you. Each and every week we ask you to rate the show, uh, whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher, and there's a big reason for it. It helps us to, to grow and to reach new listeners. We love it that you're subscribing. We love it that you're listening. But if you haven't, take a second and rate the show. Leave a comment, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. We appreciate it. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod and at MileHighHuddle. Also, take a second. Make sure you're following Mile High Huddle on Facebook. Because from now until January or February, if we're lucky, Broncos football is officially back. We're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, we finally have a game to break down and digest and analyze. Your Denver Broncos took to the road once again to open up their preseason against John Fox's Chicago Bears. It was about what you'd expect uh, from a preseason game. The laundry was flying. The rust was falling off in chunks. The Broncos were penalized a ridiculous amount of times in this game, 11 times in the first half alone. Now, not all of them were accepted or charged, but it was a slop fest in that regard. And I agree, Will, with Vance Joseph, that it kind of hindered our ability to evaluate the quarterbacks. Um, I, was, I was satisfied. You know, um, Trevor, Trevor was, you know, solid. He made some nice plays in a, in a pass game. Uh, Paxton, Paxton had some nice plays, but we had so many penalties, um, you know, doing his... Uh, you know, time of play, it, it hurt his drives. You know, that's why he played, you know, he played more than we thought. But um, overall, it was solid performance. But the penalties kind of killed us offensively and converting third down. So it was hard to uh, say who played well at the position because of the penalties. Now, Joseph says he was satisfied with the quarterbacks. And, you know, we'll get to that here in just a minute. We'll dive into quarterback watch. But all those penalties sure made for a frustrating game to watch. Then, and I don't think the coaches have it very easy trying to grade these quarterbacks. Will? Yeah, it didn't really feel like there was any flow to the offense. You know, we watched a lot of what Mitch Trubisky did, and it felt like there's a really good rhythm to the Bears' offense when he was in. But I, I did, I didn't really see that uh, with either Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch, and a lot of that was because of the penalties and then um, a couple sacks thrown in there as well. But I think there are only 15 combined throws between the the first two quarterbacks that are vying for the starting job. And some of that's because, obviously, the the Chris Harris pick six. So you had two straight Bears offensive possessions to start it off. And uh, the first Simeon drive ended up being pretty long, Um, not just in, in real time because of the penalties, but I think it chewed up something like, I don't know, five or six minutes. But Simeon only got three drives total, I think, and then, I don't know. I think it was five drafts for Lynch, but it's really not a lot to evaluate. So, you know, I'm I'm glad that we have another game uh, against San Francisco before before the coaching staff actually has to make a decision. You know, getting down to the nitty gritty as far as quarterback watch, Trevor Simeon, you know, he got the start. He He saw, as you say, a grand total of three possessions, which totaled 22 snaps. 
on literally the first snap, which we were not privy to due to some technical difficulties that Nine News had, Menelik Watson, your shiny, brand-new right tackle, relinquished a sack to Leonard Floyd uh, right off the bat. And then Simeon, though, you know, he picked himself up, orchestrated the longest drive of the night, as you say. It was 10 plays, 60 yards, culminating in three points. It was also a a drive that really, uh, I think, was helped out by some Bears penalties as well. But Simeon still got points out of it, so you got to give him that. Now, looking at his limited reps, I didn't see, honestly, the Trevor Simeon that I hoped to see this time around. But I did see the Trevor Simeon that I kind of expected to see in that he stayed on schedule. He showed command of the offense. He had poise. He never looked lost. You know, I could say maybe he looked like he was trying to play it safe a little bit, but, you know, basically it was the same old Trevor Simeon with some of the same issues, like on the third and four, he threw the ball three yards uh, to, to Jordan Taylor underneath, who was bracketed by a corner and in and, and coverage and either a linebacker or a safety, I don't recall, over the top. He was predictably tackled short of the sticks, as we so often saw Uh, in 2016, which resulted in a punt. But if you look at his stat line, he finished with a quarterback rating of 97, which is great. Six for seven uh, on his attempts, 51 total yards, averaged uh, 7.3 yards per clip. So it was a solid outing and a limited sample size. He showed accuracy. And at worst, it's kind of one of those things where if Simeon wins the job, we, we know what to expect. And we saw it last year. And honestly, if I had to grade him, I'd give him like a like a B minus. Here's though what Trev uh, Trevor had to say about his own performance after the game. It's pretty good. Um, it was good to get get going and kind of get in a little rhythm there. We found um, moved the ball, ran the ball really well, um, and that's kind of been a theme at camp I think so far. So uh, just good to get out there and throw it around and um, get in a little rhythm. Well. It might not have been a powerhouse performance from our Trevor Simeon, but again, it was about what I expected. What was your take on Simeon's night? I think he did perfectly fine. Um, you know, people are really going to get on him for that third and four, third to Jordan Taylor, and we don't really know who was who was open on that play because we don't have the all twenty-two to look at in the preseason. But you know, people love to have their preconceptions and their their biases confirmed, and so they, I think Broncos Twitter really had a field day with that, but. You know, he did make a couple of really nice plays. I think that throw to Sanders that Sanders ultimately didn't haul in was a great throw. Um, Wasn't a perfect play, however, because he had Demarius Thomas uh, wide open on a curl on the right side. They didn't look; he didn't look over to to find him. But you know, that's kind of that's kind of one play where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, because people want to see a a really aggressive Trevor Simeon, and that's what they got there. And you know, sometimes. You know, the aggressive play isn't necessarily the right play. I do think he made a nice throw there, but, you know, that's kind of maybe that's a result of kind of some of the the pressure, some of the outside noise seeping into the quarterback competition. But, you know, he made he made a couple nice throws to Cody Latimer later on the drive. Like we said, he he converted that early uh, third down to Demarius Thomas. And a really a quick note about that play. I think it was a really nice play design uh, that Mike McCoy drew up because they had a, a tight formation on the left with, I think, three wide receivers, and they had Benny Fowler, Chip, Willie Young to help Garrett Bowles on his first uh, third and 11 in the NFL. And <laughs> right. so Bowles was able to win that battle with a little help from Fowler, and then Simeon ended up converting it to, to DT. So I really like that play design by Michael Corey, and I think that's kind of a sign of things to come in that offense. But overall, you know, uh, he, he calmed down a lot later, kind of in, in his third possession, made those – 
Nice throws to Cody Latimer, made a nice one down the field. And you always want to see Trevor Simeon work the ball down the field. That was kind of one of his weaknesses last year, but showed up pretty well on that on that throw to Latimer. So overall, I, th- I think we'll give him a B. I yeah. think that's fair. Yeah, and like I said, it wasn't. I mean, he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he seemed very confident in his surroundings, and you know, he was the Simeon that that we're all used to. And it was such a small sample size, especially for Simeon. I mean. We'll talk about Paxton Lynch's reps here in a minute and how many snaps he got. But it was such a small sample size that it's hard to to really know how to react. And even like, as you talked about, in the third and four, which I guess I, I brought up first, but still it's one of those things for me that I probably do have preconceived notions about Trevor Simeon because so many times last year uh, I would get frustrated watching him make similar plays on you know third and eight thrown at six. And while it's true that we don't necessarily know exactly how the play uh, is drawn up, who's the uh, hot read, you know, one, two, three, which guy, how the progression rolls, and we don't know exactly how the coaches are coaching them, what they're being told to do, what they're being told to look for. It, it, I thought that was a good point that you don't know if uh, Jordan Taylor maybe broke off his route a little bit shallow. So all right. these things go into play, and all I can really do, especially with the limited broadcast film, is react uh, to, to what I saw. I liked that he challenged the defense uh, vertically on that play, and I thought it was a very good throw. And I think more often than not, that one to Sanders – Emmanuel Sanders comes down with it, and it's a it's a big play, and everyone's happy. Now, as for Paxton Lynch, you know he entered the game a little bit more than halfway, I think, through the second quarter, if I recall, and he received exactly one snap less than Trevor Simeon, but he actually had, as Will pointed out, more possessions. Not counting his kneel down to end the half, Lynch received five possessions. The longest drive Lynch and the second team could sustain was 31 yards, and it was his final possession which ended in a failed uh, attempt on fourth and one. Now, we'll talk more about that particular issue here in a minute, but when Lynch entered the game, to me, he looked a little sketchy. He looked uncomfortable. Uh, I think I tweeted something like deer in the headlights. Um, But coming out of halftime, he was, I think, a lot more comfortable visibly, made some decent rhythm throws, mostly to Cody Latimer, also one or two to Jordan Taylor. But he held on to the ball too long at times. When his first read wasn't there, you could tell that it just slowed him down. And I had hoped, honestly, to see him show some progress in this particular area and in terms of reading coverages and being more decisive. And while I won't go so far as to you know throw in the towel and just hand the competition to Simeon, it was disappointing that we didn't see more from Paxton Lynch. He flashed that big arm. He flashed his athleticism. He had Taylor open on a deep shot down the right hash but overthrew him by a step or two. And it was one of those things where... When he wasn't sure where to go with the ball or was under pressure, he took off. And for a young guy like that that has the athleticism and has the wheels to do that, you want to see him do it, but he's just too quick to do it at times. He had four rushes for 11 yards on the night, uh, whereas Simeon benefited, I think, from Chicago penalties on his longest drive. Lynch did have a few drives killed by penalties uh, on the Broncos' O-line. He finished 6 of 9, 42 yards, QB rating of 77.1. Average 4.1, uh, excuse me, 4.7 yards per clip. Here's what Lynch had to say in particular about his own performance on Thursday night. Uh, well, I thought I, I thought I did pretty good. Uh, before we went into halftime, I think that we struggled a little bit moving the ball, uh, missed some missed some third downs that we should have converted on, but also had a lot of penalties that kind of set us back. 
when we came out we came out of the locker room at halftime, I thought we did a did a really good job at moving the ball. But just like Coach Joseph said, it was just too many penalties uh, to keep us from moving the ball away downfield into scoring position. All right. Well, if I were grading Lynch, I'd give him a C plus. He wasn't as poised as Simeon. His decision making was slower. He wasn't careless with the ball he just didn't seem to know what to do with it at times what was your take on Paxton Lynch yeah I wasn't particularly encouraged by his performance last night Uh, he didn't really look as confident as he did a year ago uh, when they were playing in Chicago the same exact time and place the decision making wasn't really there especially early on in the first couple of of possessions like he said if the first read wasn't there he was kind of quick to take off and panic and luckily he's an athletic guy and so that didn't result in a lot of sacks and that's obviously something that he does better than Trevor Simeon but you know you want to see the the decision making get better and you want to see you want to see the the progression speed up and actually go through the progressions rather than kind of bail out but like I said, he was a little slow making reads. He had he had a play where Benny Fowler was matched up on a linebacker on a second and four, and he kind of started looking it down and then sort of hesitated and then bailed and then had to roll out to his right and threw it away. So it was a broken play. He he got kind of got into a rhythm later on his last, I think, two possessions with uh, a few slants on Cody Latimer. They're exploiting the, the deep zone coverage and kept tossing those quick slants uh, on the first read to Latimer. So right. um, that worked for them. I don't know how much that works in the regular seasons when when defensive coaches are a little quicker to adjust and are, are more cognizant of the scheme and, and game planning heading into the game as opposed to, you know, week one of the preseason. Yep, vanilla. Right. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, everybody got on Trevor Simeon for throwing it short of the sticks to Jordan Taylor, but Paxton Lynch actually did the same thing and a throw to, to Cody Latimer through it. I think it was – either third and eight and third and seven, but through a slant ended up a yard and a half short. Then they go for it on fourth down and, you know, shocking that they don't get it. <laughs> but I think, you know, we got to be consistent on both quarterbacks. So they, they both struggled there, uh, at least on third down. And, you know, overall, he made a really athletic play where he looked like he looked like he was going to get stripped and then took off for a game. But, you know, I don't know if he wins this can this competition on athleticism alone, he's, he's got to show nope. against San Francisco the ability to, A, speed up the decision-making and, and make the right decision. So, you know, last night I'd probably have to give him a C- minus and hopefully with the ones uh, he has a little more chemistry and shows a little, little better performance against San Francisco next week. Yeah, we got to see more from Paxton Lynch. And it was interesting. I was listening to the great Sandy Clough on Friday, 104.3 The Fan, and he talked about, uh, he was referencing something that Brian Greasy said during the broadcast, which was that he thought it was interesting how, you know, it's one thing to say each guy's going to start one of the games uh, leading into the third, the third game. But to have each guy basically play a quarter and a half, it's, it's really kind of skewing or giving you a, a limited view of what these guys can do. And what he uh, said is why not, you know, let them play all the way the the whole first half and come out of halftime with one possession give them both this kind of extended look this extended opportunity to get in a groove to play through try and get in a rhythm get in the feel of the game and all these things rather than this kind of disjointed you know you're in you're out and it's uh, as uh, you know like we're saying it's such a small sample size it's hard to really get a beat i mean we we can say we all we can do is 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 
you know, convey what we saw, but at the same time, it was such a small sample size that you don't really right. know which way is up. Yeah, it looked like, you know, they kind of went by thirds where it was Simeon got seven throws and then Lynch got nine throws on one fewer play. And then Kyle Sloter gets six, uh, six passes in the fourth quarter. And I know you have to get them in at some point, uh, but when you have a quarterback competition that's still undecided in week one of the preseason, you, you really do want to see as much as you can from the first two. And, you know, after the game, they asked, Vance Joseph about Kyle Sloter and kind of said that, no, he's not going to get number two reps. No, he's not in the mix for the starting job. So if so, then, you know, why is he getting so much playing time? And it's hard to complain when he played as well as he did and they won the game because of him. Right. But I think he'd much rather have, uh, like you said, an extended look at the the two guys that have a shot to actually start instead of, you know, seeing what Kyle Sloter brings to the table. Yeah. I mean, John Elway, before they signed Kyle, uh, Kyle Slaughter, basically said they're going to go out and find, his words, a camp arm, right? And yeah. Kyle Slaughter, interestingly, has turned into more than a camp arm. He had a very strong final week of, of training camp leading into this first game. And, and really, you know, you don't want to say he put the, the, the team on his shoulders by any stretch, but he was the, the deciding factor in the Broncos coming back in a meaningless preseason game and winning it. And in particular, you know, that dropping it in the bucket to Isaiah McKenzie, you hope that any quarterback that can put on a a helmet and jersey and shoulder pads at the NFL level could throw to a wide open receiver down the field. But the one play in which I thought he really showed his his, uh, poise and and his particular skill set was – on right after a holding penalty uh, on that next possession after the McKenzie touchdown, first and 20, right. feels pressure, slides left. He's going across, uh, you know, he's going to his left, so he's going to his weak side. He spots Khalif Raymond getting open about 20, 24 yards downfield, squares up and kind of has to throw across as he's moving across his body, across the momentum in which he was moving. Perfect strike over the top of the defense to Khalif Raymond to to move the sticks and get a new set of downs and dug the Broncos out of that hole. And then four plays later, D'Angelo Henderson breaks off that 41-yarder. So he was a difference maker. I mean, you could say he was easily the best quarterback on the field, but he was going against third team. That's the problem. You're, you know, he's playing with the third team offense and skill position, but he's going against the third team player. So you expect someone who does have maybe a little bit better poise or command of their situation, even for a young quarterback like that, to uh, you know, make some hay. Right. He wasn't necessarily making any complicated reads, but you know, he saw his open guys. He fit that throw into Marlon Brown, and like he said, I was really impressed with that that throw where he kind of booted out to his left and still kept his eyes downfield. And right as he was getting to the sideline, it almost looked like a sort of like a Tim Tebow throwback play, uh, except he's right-handed, not left-handed, so it was a little bit more difficult. But found found Cleve Raymond wide open, and I was thinking like. And it's kind of ironic because this is exactly what you want to see from Paxton Lynch, and we're getting it out of we're getting it out of uh, third string Kyle Slaughter right now. So, yep. you know, we'll find out in due time if if Paxton Lynch can do the same. The fans are predictably frustrated with the quarterback situation because you know you've you've we've had this hashtag the decision build up for the last six months. You get ah, out to the yes. first game, and the best quarterback is the scrub, and so. Again, you know, you got to look at this through the prism of how many reps they got and the bizarre way in which the Broncos coaches have decided to divvy up the reps to Simeon and Lynch. But uh, I would just say pump the brakes for now. That's all going to work out in due time. We're going to have a lot better beat, I think, on the situation coming out of San Francisco. Now, 
it was disappointing that the Broncos didn't pick up that uh, big fourth down in the third quarter. I want to kind of backtrack to that for a second. It was Lynch's uh, final possession. But we do have to remember that it wasn't the Broncos' uh, first-team offensive line out there. They, they have their own struggle on a third and one with C.J. Anderson. But going back to this fourth and one, it was the second team. And it was Jawan Thompson carrying the rock, who frankly did not look good in his limited opportunities. With the exception of D'Angelo Henderson, who we're going to talk a lot more about here uh, a little bit later, the running game was uninspiring, I think, for the Broncos, in my opinion. The first team unit, you know, they weren't on the field long enough to get into any kind of groove. C.J. Anderson, he averaged 4.2 yards per carry on his five touches, so that's solid. Steven Ridley ran hard, but the second team didn't really do him any favors. I liked what I saw, though, from Ridley. I just think he needs to get more carries with the ones next week just so the Broncos get a better kind of bead on what he's capable of. D'Angelo Henderson, man, led the team with 57 yards rushing and the game-winning touchdown. Hop looked absolutely phenomenal. And, Will, it was the first preseason game, you know, the first team O-line barely played. But what would you tell fans who feel like the Broncos' short yardage struggles of, of last year seem to be carrying over to 2017? Yeah, it really felt like, especially uh, given the fact that they were playing in Chicago to start the preseason like they did a year ago, it, it felt really like deja vu when they when they got stuffed on those two short yardage attempts. But the first play, which I think was a third and one, uh, got blown up mostly because Donald Stevenson kind of he just got wrecked I don't I can't remember who it was by I think it might have been number 90 for the Bears uh, apologies to him I don't know who that is but Stevenson ended up horizontal on the play which is uh, I'm not you know I'm not an offensive line coach but typically you want to be on both feet uh, so, <laughs> yeah if you can I mean you gotta yeah. at least try to anchor right so that's that's kind of why that play uh, kind of got blown up and not really because of Stephen Ridley, although I, I think you know we've talked about numbers before, and Stephen Ridley right now he's wearing four, and I think that I don't know if he makes makes the roster wearing number four, and I think <laughs> right. if we if someone can get him like I don't know what's available, but something in the thirties or the forties, you know I think he's I think he's going to play with more confidence. Um, I, it definitely worked for Isaiah McKenzie uh, last night with the touchdown wearing yeah, number eighty four as opposed to five. Went from five to eighty four, and magic happened. It's a huge difference, I'm telling you. But so that second play, which was four, it was called fourth and one, but it was, it was closer to fourth and two, really. But uh, so they give it to Juwan Thompson, I believe, and then Alan Barber just got beat outside yep. to his left shoulder. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a bad run by Thompson. I, I don't know if he could have cut back or anything, but um, kind of a failure on the part of of the guards and the tackles on on either play, Barber and Stevenson. And I know that it's the preseason and they want to just kind of test out their strength up front. But if they're not strong enough in the regular season, they're just going to have to get more creative. So, you know, if they're not if they're consistently getting beat in the middle and I don't know if that'll happen because Garcia and especially Ronald Leary and then Matt Paradis are all pretty strong guys that can get some push. But if they're still failing to convert third and third and one and then fourth and one, they're going to have to mix in, especially if if it's Pax and Lynch. Why not just sneak the ball like they did with Brock Osweiler a few years ago? He's such a huge guy. All you yeah. need to do is just and he's got he's fall got forward. Some, some power to him. You know, he's a big guy. He's not a skinny, gangly six foot seven like uh, Brock Osweiler. I mean, he's got some muscle on right. him. Right. Yeah. So just give him the ball. Or I don't even care. Like give him two out of the shotgun. And just let him run forward like Tim Tebow or Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or, you know, you could always give the ball to Andy Janovich, which is more often than not a, a successful play in any situation. Either that or, you know, naked bootleg or toss it outside just to keep the defense honest. But you want to see some type of creativity, I guess. Yeah, I think for now, just, you know, for those worrying and tripping on the short yardage issues, just pump the brakes. You know, we're not going to have a real uh, accurate bead on how much progress the Broncos have made in that department until, honestly, September 11th when the first team plays throughout the entire game. So we're going to talk about some risers and fallers from game one. Uh, But first, let me holler at you about becoming a Mile High Huddle VIP. Now, many of you listeners have pulled the trigger ongoing premium and we appreciate you supports the show supports the site allows us to continue to bring you what we believe is the most in-depth broncos coverage on the web now what does it mean to be a vip or to go premium every week mile high huddle saves our most analytical content for our premium members whether it's something a little bit more long form uh, or a film review like the one i published on friday three takeaways from the film or some x's and o's The news stories are going to always be free to everybody, but the in-depth analysis, any insider information we pick up along the way, will be reserved for our VIPs. Here's how it works. You have two options. You can sign up for a monthly membership, which costs 5 bucks, or you can go annual, which costs 49 for the year. So going annual, you can save 11 bucks. From there, you get access to all our premium content, our members-only message boards, which we frequent on the reg. Basically... The best way to support Mile High Huddle and also huddle up is to go premium. Also, since we moved to CBS, the powers that be cut some some deals. Our members now, they used to get 10% off on team merchandise through Fanatics. Now our VIPs get 20% off. So if you got your eye on that Von Miller jersey, you got that Paxton Lynch jersey on ice, Casey wins the job, go premium, get 20% off through Fanatics. Go to milehighhuddle.com, click the join button in the top menu, and sign up. We love you. We appreciate you. All right, let's go through and uh, talk about some of the risers and fallers from game one. And honestly, there's a lot to get to, so we'll uh, we'll kind of go rapid fire. We'll start us off with who impressed you on Thursday and really you feel like improved their stock. Right. So first off, I'm going to go with Ronald Leary, played as advertised at right guard. Um, next up, Vontarius Dora did a good job sealing off the edge and then was actually eating up double teams uh, outside linebacker um, in place of Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett. Number three, Isaiah McKenzie uh, didn't hurt himself on, on returns at all. I think he only got one shot to return a punt, one or two. Um, didn't do anything necessarily negative, and then obviously scored the touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter. Fourth, uh, I think he's on your list, but Garrett Bowles was just really impressive, oh, yeah. um, both in, in pass protection and in, in the run game. And then finally, Khalif Raymond, we talked about earlier, uh, he caught that pass from Kyle Slaughter on the on the first and first and twenty, yep. and then he looked really good returning kicks. So I'm going to give it to uh, Leary, Dora, McKenzie, Bowles, and then Raymond. Before I get to mine, let's. I I just want to since I also have Bowles, I just want to touch on a couple things that impressed me about him. And you know, no nobody got by him. He wasn't beat on the edge. He wasn't beat with any inside moves and in pass protection in the run game. He blocked his man, moved guys off the block. But what really, and I was just looking forward to this, it was only a matter of time. Imagine putting Derek Wolf at left tackle. <laughs> That's what you have in Gary Terrifying. I mean, there was that one play that he drew a personal foul on the, the, you know, he managed to trigger his opponent to get a personal foul 15 yards where the, the he, he got into their heads 
so fast. I mean, he was in their heads within the first couple of plays. Dude puts his his. I think it was Willie Young. I might be wrong on that, but puts yeah, his it hand, was him. Yeah, put, puts his hand in his throat, and Bull says, "What, dude? Step off!" and goes at him, and he ends up kind of getting body slammed. But he was clearly engaging in psychological warfare right out of the gates, and made it clear that, yeah, I might be the the rookie first-rounder, but I'm here to knock heads and play ball. And then there was even another play that stood out to me that was impressive where there was a play where they, they did the Bears did a little bit of a stunt. Uh, Trevor Simeon dropped back. He kind of held on a little bit longer because the first couple reads weren't there, and it allowed um, – it was Leonard Floyd, this time rushing from the right side, so rushing on, on Garrett Bowles, to kind of get around and – Bowles blocked him long enough, so the coverage kind of allowed Floyd to get there type thing. Simeon unloads, gets rid of it, and he kind of knocks into Simeon a little bit. It wasn't a big hit or whatever, and Bowles pancaked him to the ground <laughs> to the point where Floyd, you could see it. Again, it's the television broadcast, so it's we're not going to get any game film or all 22 film on it, but you can see as Bowles is pancaking him to the ground and just staring into his eyes like this, the dude throws up his arms, he's flat on his back, throws up his arms looking at the ref like, what the crap, dude? This is freaking preseason. This guy's pancaking me on third down. So that's what impresses me about Bowles, and I just think, honestly, you know, he's going to yeah. have his, his rookie moments, Will, where he's going to get beat. There, those times are going to come, but I think – at 25 years old, this is a guy who is very quickly going to actually establish himself as the emotional leader on that offensive line. Yeah, and they, they really needed that after, you know, a couple of years of no man's land at left tackle. Yep. And I, it was nice to see him get in Willie Young's head, which I don't know if it's that difficult a thing to do because if you'll remember uh, a few preseasons ago when Willie Young was playing for the Lions, I think he got called for taunting uh, against Tom Brady in like the first quarter of the first <laughs> preseason game. So yeah. I don't know if Willie Young is necessarily the most self-aware guy in the NFL, but it's good to see Garrett Bowles take advantage of that. And then technically I thought I was really impressed because you know Garrett Bowles is super strong, but in pass protection he just got out his feet were so quick and he was in position so quickly right. uh, against Willie Young. And that's why he was able to succeed in, in pass protection. So I think you have to give both Garrett Bowles and then Jeff Davidson, the offensive line coach, a lot of credit for, for coaching him up and making yeah. him look like a stud really in his first, <laughs> his first ever preseason game in the NFL. Yeah. Hats off to him. Hats off to the coaching staff. Uh, I think Bowles is well on his way now going through mine rapid fire. So Bowles, Jamal Carter, uh, yep. He was he was the subject of the film piece I did on Friday, or one of them anyway, and just kind of seeing not you know he was second on the team in terms of snaps. He saw 62 uh, defensive snaps. The guy who beat him was Brendan Langley, had three, and the defense uh, the defensive coordinator Joe Woods clearly has a lot of confidence in this kid, even though it's second and third team defensive units. I mean, he was playing him. All over the place, he was he was playing a, a traditional safety spot. He was playing nickel linebacker. He was blitzing him. He was putting him in coverage. He was matching him up one on one against uh, Adam Shaheen, who's like six foot eight and almost three hundred pounds. So <laughs> Jamal Carter led the team in tackles for a reason. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, number two uh, or number three, I should say, Kasim Adabali, very impactful in the few amount of snaps he received. Was really the the tip of the sword that created that pick six for Chris Harris that forced uh, Mike Lennon into that er er errant throw and early decision. Absolutely. 
Uh, yep. Cody Latimer, to me, really stood out not only on special teams, but in his opportunities as a receiver, his tenacity as a blocker when the call was a run. So hats off to Cody Latimer. It's good to see him showing. D'Angelo Henderson, I mean, the dude won the game. He put it in the bag. And even though the Broncos had to come back and get a defensive stop to seal the deal, D'Angelo Henderson finished with as the leader in rushing for the Broncos, as mentioned earlier. But he also had two 10-plus yard uh, runs called back uh, because of holding. So he could have had a much more impressive stat line to boot. Very impressive from D'Angelo Henderson. And then lastly, I want to tip my hat again to Kyle Sloter, who is facing some enormous odds and and a phenomenally, uh, what's a good word for it, a dramatic quarterback battle ahead of him on the depth chart, and yet he's still managing to stay poised and in his limited opportunities shine. So those are my guys, and in particular, again, I just can't say enough about Kasim Adabali, Jamal Carter in particular. Yeah, you're absolutely right on Carter, and uh, Joe Woods was using him really creatively. I'll, I'll get to this later when we go into the mailbag, but he blitzed a couple times. Um, he had a really athletic fumble recovery where he was rushing in really, really hard, and a couple of uh, – I think a Bronco missed it. Uh, a couple of Bears offensive linemen missed, missed the loose ball, and he came in and just snatched it away. And yeah. He was playing all over the field. He was playing in pass coverage, and then, like I said, he blitzed a couple times, and more often than not, he got there and timed those blitzes really well. So – you know, we'll, we'll touch on him a lot more later, but he's really, really intriguing early on. All right, now let's move on to the fallers. When it comes to identifying which players saw their stock fall on Thursday night, I'll start us off this time rapid fire. Carlos Henderson is a mess. I don't know what's going on with that dude. Uh, dropped two kick returns, was not very involved or engaged in the offense. It's a concern. It's not nothing to knee-jerk on, but it's a concern. Brendan Langley... Tip of the hat to him for playing the most snaps on defense, again, with 63. But I was not particularly impressed with anything he did, especially for a guy who made the first depth chart as cornerback number four over guys like Lorenzo Doss, who, you know, even though he didn't play great on Thursday night, Doss, he's had, I think, a much stronger and more impactful training camp. Move on. Chris Lewis-Harris, another cornerback. You know, this is a Vance Joseph guy they brought in. And I wasn't particularly impressed with him either. He got burned a few times on some of the some of those plays that uh, Mitch Trubisky managed to make magic out of the air. Paxton Lynch, <clears throat> again, he didn't uh, crap the bed, for lack of a better term, but he sure as heck didn't do enough to silence or change the complexion of how this competition seems to have be shaken out coming out of training camp. Menelik Watson. You know, this is a guy the Broncos just invested $18 million in. And even though it's only the first year that's guaranteed, you want to see something better than the guy you just gave that money relinquishing a sack on the first snap of preseason. And then he also had a, I think it was a hands-to-the-face penalty. So sloppy day out for Menelik. He's got to get better. And then my last guy is Max Garcia, who just, I don't know what's not clicking for him, Will, but he's just he's he's on his way out, and I think the Broncos at this point it'll be really interesting yeah. to see how they practice on Saturday to see if they made any changes to the left guard position because even though uh, Alan Barber wasn't great, there was a couple of plays that we talked about earlier, especially that fourth and one mm-hmm. where he wasn't great, but he is a veteran. He does know what to do, and he's probably someone you can count on at this point more than Max Garcia, who at, at this stage, it's one of those things where you just never know what you're going to get. 
I actually got a chance to see that play where Menelik Watson gave up uh, the sack to Leonard Floyd because I was watching on the Bears broadcast uh, as opposed to Nine News. But yeah, he just got he just got beat, and Leonard Floyd looked a lot quicker than him. Uh, so that was a little bit concerning, especially uh, on the first pa- passing play of the season. Um, after the last couple of seasons, you're like, oh, here we go again. But I, I think he recovered okay. Um, Carlos Henderson. I think it was just nerves, and that happens. That's a lot of adrenaline. Your first, your first, even though it's a preseason game, your first game under the lights in the NFL drops a couple of kickoff uh, returns. But you know, I think he'll correct that. I think you know he'll be fine. Caught a pass on offense. I think it'll just take time for him, like it did in training camp uh, in game. So I think yeah. we'll see. I think we'll see uh, a lot of improvement from Henderson coming up here. But as far as my five, yeah, who you got? Um, I had Donald Stevenson, number one, uh, kind of talked about it earlier, but he's someone that could be a cap casualty. Uh, we talked about, we've talked about Virgil Green in the past. It, it's kind of either him or Stevenson um, if they want to free up some cap space, and we'll see if that happens. But he, he really didn't play well. He got just torched on that on that third and one in the, mm. uh, I think it was the second quarter. Mm. Didn't look good. Ended up horizontally, not where you want to be. Uh, second, kind of um, unconventional, but I'm going to go with the whole special team. So Brock Olivo <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a faller. I love Brock Olivo, but the special teams need to improve. They're springing a lot of leaks. A lot of that had to do with the gunners were overrunning uh, the returns. I, I saw it a couple times, especially from Carlos Henderson. Yep. So not a great night. He was, he was a little too anxious, running a little too fast. You had to break down about 10 yards or so. Um, before you get to the return just so you know you can't get blown right by like they were uh so they gave up a lot of return yardage last night garcia you already talked about him uh he just doesn't look as confident as he did in 2015 maybe it's a scheme thing uh who knows he just doesn't look quite as comfortable at left tackle maybe they try not or at left guard rather maybe they try not right guard and move leary over we'll see what they do and then paxton lynch you know i don't really want to go back and harp on it too much, but didn't look confident, looked a little slower. And, uh, you know, he'll get his chance against San Francisco. So I don't want to, I don't want to beat a dead horse too much, but, uh, and then fifth, I know this, this might pain you a little bit because I know he's your boy, but I wasn't too impressed by Zach Kerr. I think he looked a little too small to be playing nose tackle because they're going with a a four man front at, at times, or at least a, I don't know. They're, they're playing him more as like a five technique defensive end, and he couldn't really he couldn't really take those uh, those double teams, and he was kind of getting pushed back and kind of bullied. Yeah, and I think you know when they when they switched from win and they're playing Kerr a little a little more uh, around the second and third quarter, and they're getting torched on the ground. I think he was kind of kind of a reason why, and so you know hopefully he can come back and maybe he's playing out of out of position a little bit, but. I want to see a little more improvement from him in the second week as well. I would agree with that. You know, when he was on the field, uh, that's when Chicago started having a lot more success on the ground. I mean, it's just the two things correlated. And I haven't gone back uh, and studied Kerr in particular. I'll I'll probably do that uh, in the coming week or maybe over the weekend. But I'd have to agree with you. It wasn't a great start for Zach Kerr. And the one thing I'd like a quick aside before we move on to the mailbag is your point about Donald Stevenson. I concur. But the flip side to that, just to kind of maybe take it back to risers a little bit, was I was actually pretty impressed with Tyson oh, Rilo. Yep, I was gonna. I, I mean, he was kind of my like 
sixth man on, yeah. on the five-man squad, but he, he did look good in pass protection. He was solid, and, I mean, he wasn't great. He didn't do anything that was, like, popping off the screen, but he executed, and that's not something we've seen from him uh, too often in his time as a Bronco, especially uh, over the last year or so. So it's good to see him at least not screwing things up. Right, and people were talking about him in training camp, and maybe this is just because he was he was getting too many reps against guys like Vaughn Miller, but he was someone that wasn't even getting a hand on Vaughn Miller. And he came back, and he looked confident, and he looked quick, and he looked like his feet were there, and he was in position, and he was getting leverage, and he's never he's never been a strength guy, and he never will. So leverage is really yep. important, and so is hand placement, and it was all there working for him last night. So, you know, maybe it's – it has something to do with playing left tackle as opposed to right tackle. Uh, our guy Doc Bear loves to talk about functional strength, right? And that has to do with you know playing playing on the left side or the right side, whichever one uh, works better for them. But yep. he looks strong, and so I, I think if he can keep it going, he's got you know he's got a future as a swing tackle uh, in Denver, that- especially with. Michael Schofield uh, has or has not been producing. Yeah, third team left guard, not good for Skodog. But, yeah, I would just say that, again, he looked great as a left tackle. My concern of putting him as a swing guy is the if he has to step in and play right tackle, which has just not been good. It's In fact, it's been caught right. catastrophic. But before we get out of here, we'll take a quick question or two from the Mile High Mailbag. We are your football priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions, and we always love engaging with you, our listeners. Today's first question comes from David Cromwell, friend of the show. His question is, would it be better for the Broncos to go 4-12 and this year than 7-9? and And then his comment is, I think it would. And I'll take this one first real quick, Will. I think the answer depends on who the quarterback is. I think kind of the unique challenge facing John Elway and the Broncos is how to reconcile their belief and their drive to win now and capitalize on their defensive talent with the fact that they've invested a first-round pick in a quarterback who has likely developed as far as he's going to without actually starting and facing live bullets. So within that scope, the Broncos kind of get caught up in that that drive and need to win, which you want to see, but it also sacrifices what they might have. Now, this the story's not over yet, but what they might have in Paxton Lynch. So I'll say this. I've seen, personally up to this point, nothing so far that has changed my mind on the issue, the same issue we've talked about many times over the offseason. The Broncos need to bite the bullet and start the first rounder. Let the chips fall, find out what they have in him. The defense is good enough to keep him in games, and Trevor Simeon's going to be there uh, for two more years if they need him, this year and next year. They'll never really know until they try. But their desire to win now might, for lack of a better term, uh, retard the development of Paxton Lynch. It could very well turn into a what could have been as far as Lynch, and, and who knows, maybe Trevor Simeon is the man destined to lead the Broncos into the future. But, Will, your answer for David, would it be better for the Broncos to go 4-12 and or 7-9 and this year? Right. I know this is kind of just a veiled uh, question about the two quarterbacks, but I would always rather go 7-9 and than 4-12. and and that's not just you know a mathematical answer uh, that seven is greater than four, obviously. But I think you always owe it to your fans and then the players to to try to win. Um, maybe the New York Jets excluded. And I think if either quarterback comes out and goes four and twelve with as talented a roster as the Broncos are, I think that's such a disappointment. And I think uh, 
that I think going four and twelve, uh, even with Pax and Lynch, means the end of Pax and Lynch in Denver. We saw we saw Trevor Simeon go from one snap in twenty fifteen uh, after being picked in the seventh round to finishing with an eight and six record in his fourteen games. Yep. So there's there's no reason for there should be no reason for a regression from that. You know that has to be the benchmark uh, going into twenty seventeen. And if you're if you're kind of banking on you know saying oh well if we go four and twelve maybe one of the quarterbacks will be there and we can start over at quarterback, that's not I don't I never like that that idea because Sam Darnold there's no there's no uh, I guess uh, confirmation that Sam Darnold's going to come out in twenty seventeen he could he could easily I think he's a redshirt junior right now so he could easily easily stay an extra year and so could Josh Rosen although you know with what he said uh, about athletes and academics uh, <laughs> earlier this week I don't know I don't know about Josh Rosen he's kind of a wild card so then you'd kind of just be looking at you know potentially Jake Browning although he seems like a guy that's going to stay all four years um, and then you know Josh Allen and and, and Luke Falk up at, up at Washington State so yeah. The quarterback, the quarterback class is never quite as good or as bad as you think it's going to be. So I would never, I would never tank a season in hopes that you might get one of those guys. Yeah, Andrew Luck only comes around, you know, every twenty-five years or so, or a player of his caliber. Right. Um, well, let's move on to our next question from a former Mile High Huddle staffer, Adam Uribas, uh, now doing work elsewhere, friend of the show. His question is, how did Jamal Carter go undrafted? Kid seems like he has the potential to be a solid player, and it's a very good question. And You know, I'll be the first one to admit that I'm not an expert on the 2017 draft class. Eric Trickle is, Mile High Huddle senior draft analyst. I reached out to him, and what he's basically told me is that he was surprised that Jamal Carter was still on the board beyond the fourth or fifth round. So I don't think anyone has a real solid beat on exactly why this kid went undrafted, Will, but... You know the Broncos seem to have found another diamond in the rough. Right. I don't necessarily watch a lot of University of Miami games, so I wasn't particularly familiar with Jamal Carter until he joined the Broncos. But I dug up a scouting report from NFL.com from uh, the scout Lance Zierline, and kind of the the book on Jamal Carter's weaknesses were that he has poor instincts, doesn't make enough plays on the ball gets manipulated easily by the quarterback, uh, has mental lapses in times, and is slow to diagnose run plays, which I don't I don't think I saw any of that really last night. And, you know, I think you have to give credit, like I said earlier, to Joe Woods because he's using him almost as uh, kind of like a, a fifth or fourth or fifth linebacker right. in the box who's on the line of scrimmage all day, using him creatively, blitzing him, and then uh, at times dropping him to coverage. And, at Miami, from what it looked like, he was playing mostly high safety, which that definitely wasn't the case last night. You no. know, he was he was kind of embedded, sort of either on the tight end or right at the line of scrimmage and blitzing. And Box. You, know, you have to give you're right. You have to give credit to the Broncos coaching staff for for seeing a guy and then knowing how to use him and kind of get the most out of him and kind of hide those weaknesses. The I watched I rewatched each and every snap from Jamal Carter on Friday, uh, working on that uh, three takeaways from the film. And the kid, I mean, there was a couple plays where he was out of position because he took a bad angle on running plays. But he meets the ball carrier when he does with violence. He takes him to the ground. I mean, to me, he was, I mean, it's funny to to hear that one comment from Zerline that, 
mean, because I saw him around the ball on almost every single play he was on the field. He yep. was around the ball and making plays on the ball. So that is an interesting uh, scouting report. Now, last question, and then we will get out of here, comes from at Mile High Maniac. His question, or hers, I'm not sure if it's male or female, how big of a hit is losing Billy Wynn, who steps in? And it is a bummer. Uh, because Wynn was consuming double teams like a boss on Thursday before he got yeah. hurt. And to me, I, I think, well, off the cuff, it just means that Zach Kerr is going to continue to have a bigger role. I mean, he played a lot on Thursday night after Wynn went down, and I guess it creates more of an opportunity for Tyreek Jarrett. So your thoughts on the issue? Yeah, it's it's definitely a big loss. I don't know if it's quite as big as Vance Walker was a year ago. But obviously the Broncos like to rotate a bunch of defensive ends and tackles and nose tackles in. And Billy Wynn looked really good last night. Like you said, he, he ate up a couple double teams and then was really impacting the run. You saw you saw the difference it made when, when Wynn got hurt and the Bears started kind of running the ball with Tariq Cohen at will. But it's interesting that Nikki Javala from the Denver Post tweeted that the Broncos will in all likelihood make a move from the outside at least. Uh, it looks like, to make up for, for Billy Wynn's void, I guess, on the roster. So I don't know if they're they're only looking to promote from within or at least give Kerr or, or Jarrett or whoever a little bit of competition. But Right. right. So obviously there's, there's Vance Walker, who mm. he looks like he's – it's kind of a – I don't know. It's an interesting situation because he's a year removed from uh, the ACL tear at about this time last year, maybe a, a little bit – Later, or I think it was earlier in training yeah, camp. It was before the first, the first game, I believe. Right. So, you know, maybe they kicked the tires on him. Obviously, yeah. he's familiar with the system. Uh, the free agent class, as far as available uh, three, four defensive tackles slash nose tackles, isn't great. You know, you could maybe look at a guy like Sean Lissamore, who played for, I think, the Chargers, and then Kendall Reyes, who played for the, the Chargers and the Chiefs. But Reyes is still free. I, I think so. Um, yeah, I looked. This is according to Walter Football. So he's a he's know. a former uh, second round pick, if I recall. Right, right. Uh, yeah, played you know pretty decent football with the Chargers for a while. Yeah. So you know maybe that's someone that they look at, and then I wouldn't I wouldn't really hold your breath on. Uh, I know this will come up, but I wouldn't hold your breath on a, a Sheldon Richardson trade anytime soon. Although I know that's going to get batted around on Twitter and and whatnot, but. You know, well, I don't think the Jets are trying to lose that hard. Let's remember that it wasn't Demata Pecco who went down. It was Billy Wynn. And, you know, two or three weeks ago, Will and I were questioning whether or not Wynn even had a place on this roster. So I don't say that to minimize his impact because, you know, he's a veteran. He was with the Broncos all 16 games last year. Um, but really, he kind of – the way he – he was kind of just a guy last year. And – you know, the yep. Broncos rushing defense took a step backward and, and all that. So it was good to see him playing well before he went down. But I guess what I'm getting at is, Will, it's, it's not the end of the world. No, they'll be, they'll be okay. You know, someone has to step up. Like I said, it's it's not a starter like, like losing Vance Walker was. But right. they like to rotate their players. So someone's got to fill that, that void now. I would say last note on this issue is if Vance Walker is recovered, and the Broncos would know better than anybody, He would make the most sense. But uh, that's all the time we have for today's show. Again, follow us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. 
tweet us your questions, and we will always try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.